The Athletic. Ten points off the top four pace in the Premier League and out in the FA Cup third round for the first time in a long while led to calls for Thomas Tuchel and Roman Abramovich in the away end. So what's going on at Chelsea and is the mess too big for Graham Potter to fix? I'm Mark Chapman. This is The Athletic Football Podcast. have a lot of fans pining for the best elements of what the old Chelsea were in their minds. And you have a club that is yet to find its new identity in this new era. The owners are billionaires, so they're quite smart. Smarter than me, that's for sure. They understand the challenges that we have. Walker, full back. I think Pep was there a year before they won anything, was it the year? And then obviously Mikel and Jürgen took a bit of time, but obviously it's maybe different for me for some reason. But uh, I don't put a time scale on it. I know the responsibility we have here, but also I know that I'm capable. Chelsea didn't have a real structure before. It, it sort of felt very kind of sort of living for the moment. And it worked bizarrely, despite, you know, sort of all logic. Chelsea's old regime worked, but I still think that this is the right thing to do. The Chelsea coaches that have burned brightest didn't burn for very long. The whole idea of this is that Chelsea want Graham Potter to be the architect of a long-term project. Simon Johnson and Liam Toomey are here with us on the Athletic Football Podcast. Uh, so, who'd like to go first in telling me what the hell is going on? <laughs> well, it depends if you want the short or long answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure there. Is, I'm not sure there is a short answer, is there? No, there isn't. And I think, um, uh, you know, me and Lou would be able to cover this between us. But I just think there is a number of issues here, Mark. It's it's obviously with Graham Potter. He's he's struggling to make his mark at the moment. But I personally believe this is a, issues that. We're talking about change of ownership, change of manager, all in a short amount of time, change of players even, and it's just not working. I don't think we will see signs of the new ownership, new management, new recruitment team really starting to see the benefits of it until, well, now next season at the earliest. It almost feels like this season is a write-off. It it does remind me a lot of 2015-16, certainly on the pitch, um, but of course, Chelsea then still had the, the the old regime, certain familiar figures around the place, certain key players. Um, but this squad needed a massive rebuild anyway. And I, I do think that one of the things we're seeing is that the recruitment over the last few years, not just the summer, has not been good enough. And Chelsea have been left with a squad that is a bit of a mishmash and needed a, a big overhaul and will continue to do so. There was a time when we were doing Manchester United podcasts and, and one of the constant things that Laurie would say to me is, it feels like everybody at Manchester United at the moment is learning on the job, that they aren't, they aren't fully 
settled into the role that they are doing. Now, that may have been because they'd never done that role before. It also may have been that they were new at the club. You could say something similar here with Chelsea, couldn't you? There, there are people who may have not done roles before that they are currently fulfilling. And also for anybody, anybody, any of us, anybody in the world of work, you go to a new company, it takes time to settle in, We some, particularly in a management level. And we forget that within football. That definitely rings very true when you're looking at Chelsea right now at, at all levels, really. You have new owners who are learning the European football business and they are, you know, getting some things right and getting some things wrong. And it's all very public and occasionally quite painful, I think, for fans to watch. You have a coach who has built a very promising career, a very highly regarded reputation at lower levels, but has never even been confronted with with something of this size in terms of a culture reset and a team rebuild as Graham Potter is having to do now. You have a recruitment team that has barely got its feet under the table and most of these guys were not recruitment number ones at their previous clubs. They're kind of young, very promising recruitment executives who are also now trying to find the right way to work together in a structure that doesn't mm. appear to resemble any other European club. You've got Todd Bowley, who had been functioning as interim sporting director. Of course, the, the presence of, of this new recruitment team allows him maybe to take a little bit of a step back. We'll see how much of a step back the owners do take. And on the pitch, this is clearly a squad in, I think Graham Potter used the words last week, a massive transitional period where you have players assembled by a or for a succession of very different coaches, some of whom are now clearly past their peak. And uh, it's, it's very difficult, depending on the changes you make to the team, to play a consistent style of football or even a consistent formation. And so I, I wrote after the, the second Manchester City game that Chelsea have an identity crisis at the moment. And it really does feel that way because you have a lot of fans pining for the best elements of what the old Chelsea were in their minds, even as recent as Thomas Tuchel. And you have a club that is yet to find its new identity in this new era. I was doing a show with uh, with Chelsea legend, and I use that term ironically, Chris Sutton. And he, uh, he was quite annoyed at Graham Potter in a, in a press conference, giving credit to Nottingham Forest after the game with Chelsea. And it led to a really interesting discussion about if Graham Potter as Brighton manager had given credit to Nottingham Forest after a draw, nobody would have raised an eyebrow. And yet there's almost an understanding that as soon as you become a manager of of a top six team, any kind of realism or honesty ought to go out of the window, and there's a, there's a there's a different level to then how you speak. And I cited David Moyes at Manchester United example when he said something about Manchester City being the level that United need to aspire to, and it all all hell broke loose after that comment. So it is a it's a real shift change, isn't it, for Potter, who is a really honest, really likable man, to change that mentality a bit to become a bit more belligerent. Would you say, Simon? Yeah, to, to bear some teeth. And I think it's one of the things that the fan base are not enjoying. You know, obviously I'm generalising, but you, you're getting that impression. Of course, this is a fan base that are used to managers bearing their teeth uh, against their rivals. You know, Jose Mourinho, Conte, Tuchel. Mm. 
Uh, and Tuchel, uh, it's unfortunate for Potter that, that, that he is following Tuchel for a number of reasons, obviously, Champions League winner, etc. But Tuchel is one of the best Chelsea managers in terms of the way he presented himself in front of a camera, the way he communicated on a number of issues. Of course, he, he dealt with one of the, the most difficult subjects in Chelsea's history with, with Abramovich sanctioning it and everything. Whereas Potter, it just seems very pleasant. And, and, you know, if you think about how Chelsea won trophies, you know, they were, they were tough. They, they, they were nasty. They could be cynical. They could be. And, and some of that came from the manager. Whereas Chelsea as a team look like they're too nice at the moment. And as a coach, they've got someone that they think the fans seem to think is a bit too nice. And he did show a side of how he really feels in a post-match press conference, um, a few days ago where he sort of intimated, look, you know, just, I come out here and I try to give the, the sort of essentially what you're saying that the positive side, but don't, don't get me wrong. You know, I do have feelings, you know, I do have, I'm not like this all the time, but I think sometimes it would do him some good to try and show that side to him a bit more, especially when games have gone awry, because to sort of come out and be all nice about the opposition, it, it kind of does feel like, well, you've just mirrored how the team have played on the pitch. Mm. Liam? I'd have to echo what what Simon said in terms of Graham Potter learning to talk like a Chelsea coach. You know, I I, I made that that Moyes comparison occurred to me as well, and it and it's not clearly not a parallel that you want as Graham Potter in the first few months of this job. He he's too normal a person <laughs> at the moment. The most, said, but that's sad, isn't it? Do you not think that reflects <laughs> that reflects more on the sport and the, in, yeah. the industry? That's who that reflects badly on. It reflects on the personality traits that are rewarded in elite coaching. You know, you kind of have to be a bit of a me- megalomaniac, even a bit of a psychopath at times. And you know, you can look at that both ways because the the Chelsea coaches that have burned brightest didn't burn for very long. They burnt out after a year or two. And the whole idea of this is that Chelsea want Graham Potter to be the architect of a long-term project. And for that, you would think you maybe require a bit more emotional stability uh, and the ability to to take victory and defeat, you know, those two strangers just the same um, a little bit. But I, I think in times like this, where there's so little to cling on to on the pitch, I think Chelsea fans also just want to see a little bit more sign of a real person, really, as much as anything. And that's why I think Potter getting slightly snarkier last week when he was challenged, I think, to a greater degree than he has been so far in a press conference, was good because it showed part of his real personality. He's clearly not like this behind the scenes. I don't he he couldn't have been a successful coach if he if he was just sort of talking pleasantries and and managerial cliches to his players. I don't think that's the way you inspire and motivate. He clearly has those skills, but he's putting up a guard when he's talking to the media and publicly. Had, and I think that's uh, difficult yeah. for fans. He, ha- he has those skills in abundance. I mean, he did, a, he did a master's in emotional intelligence. He knows how people tick. He knows that you can't treat everybody the same. You know, the emotional intelligence side of things, he is absolutely spot on. So maybe he is doing it the right way. Maybe he is, and and everybody else needs to adapt to what he's doing, Simon. But that sea change in mentality is going to take time, and it's going to take time. To talk about time. It's going to take time for the fans to adjust to to what Chelsea now are. 
I, you know, as we saw at Manchester City, they're, they're chanting for Abramovich, they're chanting for Thomas Tuchel. I, I understand, but it's pointless. Those guys are gone. It's, it's a whole new Chelsea, and that's not going to help matters uh, sort of hankering over the past. I think Chelsea have had a unprecedented, you know, 20 years or so of success, the most successful club in English football. But there's an enormous amount of change. And Graham Potter, I can understand why he doesn't, he doesn't appeal to them because his CV doesn't appeal to them. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have been hired by the previous owner. I think we can, we can safely say that mm-hmm. because Abramovich was a, went for the best coaches, the ones with, with trophies to their name. And Frank Lampard was the exception, but even he, that was because of a transfer ban and he still had that huge emotional time with the fans because of what he did for them as a player. Graham Potter has, very little apart from playing some nice football football for Brighton to 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 go for him in terms of how how he appeals to the fan base and it is going to take a lot of time and that is the huge the huge thing that that fans are going to have to adjust to is they're not used to waiting for something to happen it's if something's going wrong change gets someone else in and they'll win a trophy I, it could be a while before Chelsea win another trophy again on the field, what are they? Could you tell me what what the preferred formation is? Could you tell me, you know, if everybody was fit, what their starting eleven would be? On the field, I think they're a mess, and we know what Potter said he wanted to see when he took the job. You know, a, a team that that plays from the back, that plays with 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 bravery and and, and passion, and looks to looks to impose themselves on games and, and create chances and score. But they're not creating, uh, which is perhaps the most worrying thing in recent games. You know, they they create. Okay, they've been unlucky in that they've played Manchester City three times in the last eight games, but they've created almost nothing. It, certainly in those games and against Forest, even more worryingly. Defensively, I think they've not regained anywhere near the standard that they had under Thomas Tuchel in 2021. Now, to be fair, they lost that under Tuchel in 2022. And the attack has always been a problem. There, there is no reliable goal scorer in this squad, uh, and increasingly, just even carving teams open is a, is a problem. And at the same time, I think the fans are now keenly aware that the centre of midfield has not been refreshed in a long, long time. You know, Golo Kante was signed in 2016, Jorginho 2018. Of course, that was when Kovacic arrived on loan as well, uh, and those three players are still the ones that Chelsea are building around, even though Kante can't play very much anymore and Jorginho may not be at the club next season. So uh, Chelsea need a a refresh there. They need a change of profile. They can't seem to play well at all without Rhys James, which is another huge issue. And I I think Potter hasn't really had enough of the squad fit since he took over for him or for us to get a clear sense of, of what, his best 11 might be or what the best formation might be. I think he's been firefighting, honestly, from game to game, week to week, just trying to tweak things for each opponent. Sometimes it's worked, sometimes more recently, of course, it hasn't. But I I don't think four months in, we have a clear sense of what Graham Potter's Chelsea should look like. Players have to take some responsibility here as well, don't they, Simon? Oh, for sure. Obviously, there are some young players who are getting their chance, but you look at the form of some of the guys they brought in, you know, Kalidou Koulibaly has has clearly not worked out so far. I'm still waiting for Kai Havertz. 
to really fulfil his potential. Um, his performance the other day was, I'm, I'm trying to pick my words here, but it, it, it was, it was pretty disgraceful, really. That's when you're looking for him to be the, the sort of the leader. He's, he may be still quite young in age, but in, in terms of, you know, he's a Germany international, one of the key players that, that Potter would have hoped to rely on in that game. And he was actually one of the weakest links and, and gave away a, a ridiculous penalty. You get the feeling that there's this is a mishmash of a squad of I think Liam's touched on this that there are players that are coming towards the end of their Chelsea careers, players that are struggling to adapt to the change of manager, and then youngsters that what you'd ideally have is you, you come into the team when the team's firing, like like art like you're seeing at Arsenal, and having that security of, of coming in with other guys in form around them to help them through, and in, instead they're they're almost on their own. It pales in comparison, for example, with the way that Reese James, Mason Mount, etc., were brought in. You know, there, there were players at that time that could help them settle in. You, you just feel at the moment there are a bunch of individuals, and and then you you have to go back to the summer recruitment and the amount of money that has been spent and how much Chelsea are getting back from that investment so far. It's not enough. Let's talk about uh, the recruitment next on the pod then. We'll look at Chelsea's approach in the transfer market. We'll also discuss whether João Felix is the answer to any of their issues. All right, Liverpool fans, we've got some news. The Athletics dedicated Liverpool podcast has been given a lick of paint and it's coming back bigger and better than ever in 2023. It's still twice a week and still your go-to place for transfer news, analysis and opinion from the Athletics' esteemed football writers. But the first big change is me, Tony Evans, as your host. I'm the former football editor of the Times of London and I've been on the Mersey beat for years. You'll never walk alone as part of Anfield folklore and we want a new name that truly resonates with Liverpool, the fans, the history, the essence of the club. So that's where we went for Walk On. Join us twice a week through the wind and the rain as Jürgen Klopp's Reds aim to save their season and maybe even sign a bleeding midfielder in January. Simply search for Walk On on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Come on, have a listen. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's back in by Lobby! the perfect start for Atletico Madrid who score inside the opening seven minutes. Brilliant cross and a bullet header from João Felix. With João Felix out of favour at Atletico Madrid, 
It was made very clear within the industry that he would be leaving on loan in the January transfer window. His agent, George Mendes, got the ball rolling, offering him to the likes of Chelsea, Manchester United and Arsenal. All of them were keen because he's a high-level player. He's an attacker and that's an area of the pitch that they're all looking to strengthen in this month. The big stumbling block was the asking price, with Atletico Madrid seeking a package of around 21 million euros, comprising 15 million euros in loan fee and 6 million euros in salary. The interested parties were not prepared to go anywhere near that for just six months of loan. So something was going to have to give. And as the days have gone on, Chelsea in particular have had to think about their recruitment because of the struggles they are experiencing on the pitch. And on Monday, after their defeat at Manchester City in the FA Cup, they decided to go for it. And they reached a verbal agreement to sign Felix with a loan fee in the region of 11 million euros. And João Felix is said to have been enticed by the opportunity. He clearly had choices or would have had as the weeks go on. And he has opted for Chelsea and we're told for the project at Stamford Bridge. Now, at that point, nothing was in ink or in writing. The paperwork still needed to be done. Nothing had been signed. And so we'll see how that develops in these hours and days. But it seems that Chelsea now, for all intents and purposes, have a really noteworthy signing. Not their first of the January window, of course. They've already bought in Badia Shiel, a story we revealed on The Athletic, as well as Andre Santos and David Fofana. As I understand it, they'll still be doing more business before that 31st of January deadline too. They want to strengthen in midfield and potentially some backup to the injured Rhys James at right back. As far as we know, there's no option or obligation to buy involved in this proposed deal. There are reports in Spain that he will sign a new contract before leaving and perhaps even that Diego Simeone will be leaving Atletico Madrid at the end of the season, having joined way back in 2011 and enjoyed so much success and progress. If the problem is between Simeone and Felix, then that is something that may be resolved in the future. But for now, West London seems to be calling and let's see how it unfolds. David Ornstein there reporting on Chelsea's move for Atletico Madrid's João Felix. Simon Johnson and Liam Toomey are here with us on the Athletic Football Podcast. Where does he fit in here, Liam? It's an interesting question with, with Felix because you could make the argument that he is kind of what Chelsea need least in that he's another kind of small, skinny, skillful attacker who isn't a number nine They've already got quite a lot of those that they haven't maximised. And it, and it, in some ways, it is quite easy to see Joao Felix coming into the Premier League mid-season into a, a system that just is not functioning and kind of playing to the level that he's that he's in rather than lifting things. A lot of Chelsea fans, I've seen a lot of them trying to rank Chelsea's January priorities and the things that often get listed above a type of player like Felix is a number nine who can score reliably a high-end alternative to Reese James uh, on the right of defence and a high-quality midfielder. I think a lot of fans would put all three of those ahead of 
Joel Felix, but it's a deal they could do. I think Chelsea's owners look at it as as something that is not necessarily a long term commitment, but a player who's talented enough, clearly, to if he if he works to make a difference now. And there's always the possibility that it, you know if he's sensational between now and the end of the season, he's a player that maybe you could look to buy. But it's it, it does very much look like a short term option at the moment, especially when you see his best role is probably sort of on the left of a conventional striker, not quite a winger, not quite a number 10. That's where Raheem Sterling likes to play. That's where Christian Pulisic likes to play. I know they're both injured at the moment, but you've got Christopher Nkunku coming in in the summer. That's kind of where he likes to play as well. Um, Kai Havertz would like to play, really, wouldn't he? Yeah, maybe off the other side as a left footer, but a very similar type of role. Again, sort of a nine and a half rather than a nine. Yeah. And you wonder how many of those types of players you can fit into a a functioning team and and whether what we're seeing from Chelsea in the final third is, is a consequence of having too many of the same type of player. Liam used a phrase there, Simon, which might be quite worrying, which is, it's a deal that they thought they could do. Well... There are probably lots of deals that that could be done by a lot of clubs for a lot of players, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're the right player at the right time for that club. Yeah, but I, 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 from my understanding, this this isn't a recent interest. This is an interest that does date back to last summer. So it's not like they've suddenly plucked a name out of a list and gone, "Oh, right, let's get him." But I think it's valid. But but can I just come in on that? If this was interest from from the summer just gone. That was under a different manager with not everybody that's in that recruitment department now who were there in the summer. So 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 who had the so actually who had the interest in the summer and are they still there to be driving that interest now? And are they actually still relevant to be driving that interest now? Yeah, I, I, I think yes on, on both counts from what I'm hearing. But at the same time you're right to question or everyone's right to question whether this is the deal that that Chelsea need right now. And I echo what Liam said. It almost feels like, well, something's better than nothing. And a new body to inject some some life into that dressing room, perhaps to perhaps put some people on their toes who who have been underperforming. And there are question marks over the future of some of the guys that, that have been mentioned there. Perhaps they you know, the likes of Ziyech and, and Pulisic, you know, how how much do they really want to continue playing for Chelsea? I think that's a very valid question there's been a lot of talk about the two of them it's not just been speculation you know I think it's been pretty clear that neither of them have been particularly happy at Chelsea for a while now um, and things haven't exactly improved under Graham Potter but whilst they're dealing with this sort of injury crisis we still don't know how long Sterling's going to be out for um, he had a second sc- scan on a hamstring which is a bit of an indication that is a bit is a bit more to it than than just a straightforward hamstring strain so bringing another attacker in, whilst it doesn't tick every box, it ticks a box. Before we come on to some of the other players, as far as the recruitment department is concerned, who's in charge? Because Todd Bowley did it in the summer. They've brought the guy from the Red Bull group, haven't they? But then Joe Shields also came from Southampton, is that right? Who had also been, he'd only, And he hadn't been there that long because he'd been there from Manchester. He'd gone there from Manchester City. At the same time, Graham Potter's recruitment team from Brighton came in in various shapes and and guises. So right at the start of the podcast, you made the point, Simon, I think, that they've all come in of these guys and they're now trying to work out who works with each, who who drives what and who's in charge of what area. 
What's the structure? Do we know? I think it's too early to say, Mark, how, how this is actually going to work. Uh, as, as funny as that sounds, they've all been given... So Christopher Vell is technical director, then another one's sort of responsible for the global uh, side of things. Then then you've got Carl McCauley, who works closely with Graham Potter. You've got Paul Wynn Stanley, who's also come from Brian. I think there's going to be an element of them all sort of not only adapting to a new role, but also adapting to each other. And I think that's a point that, that Liam sort of touched on earlier in, in the pod. Just to add as well, Joe Shields hasn't even started yet, I don't believe. So, uh, right. so Vivell, Wynn Stanley and Lawrence Stewart, who's the other guy who's come in from Monaco, they're all in place. But of course, they're, they've only been in, in their posts for a matter of weeks. So they're still, not only are they are they just kind of getting their feet under, tab- under the table at Chelsea, but they're in a structure that isn't replicated anywhere else. And you, you've also got the question of how actively involved Todd Bowley and Badad Bali will continue to be in terms of talking to agents, talking to executives. We know they were meeting with agents during the Qatar World Cup um, in Qatar. So it, it's quite interesting to to see what happens, you know, if if agents continue to go direct to Bowley and to Bali as they have been since the summer, how does that work in terms of the process? I, I think the the idea, at least the concept is for everything to be a conversation and a collaboration and each each person will have individual responsibilities especially when this multi-club structure is kind of more fully fleshed out and and Chelsea's recruitment operations are maybe a bit more fine-tuned but when it comes to deciding the big first team recruitment decisions the big the, the big key signings I think the idea is for it to be a conversation and to have all of these bright minds weighing in and then hopefully it's kind of like the wisdom of crowds, you know, the, the, the more bright minds you have involved in it, the, the better your decision making will be. As long as they're all able to give their own opinion. Yes. And as long as they're, you know, as long as they're all confident, their opinions will be taken on board and that, and that if they, if they say what they think, you know, the, the owners might not just still go another way. It has to be, yeah, it's one thing to say that you want a culture of honest collaboration it's another thing to do it. And and so far, Chelsea have said the right things when it comes to building out this recruitment operation, but it's too early to say how it's going to work in practice. You can probably split Chelsea's transfer policy into two at the, at the moment, can't you, Simon, really, with, with experienced, ready first-team players and then one eye on the future. And the other part of their transfer policy is obviously to sign as many centre-halves as the, there are in the world, it would appear at the moment. But the, as far as their experienced first-team players are, Sterling, Koulibaly, Aubameyang, Fafana, Kukurea, bought for differing reasons and for differing you know, short-term or, or, or medium-term. Would you say any of those have worked as yet? Um, I'm struggling to say yes. You could make a slight sort of say that, well, Sterling is at least wading with a few goals. You know, he's if he's not the top scorer, he's, he, he, I think he may be level. But that's not saying very much. Chelsea aren't scoring many goals. And I, I don't think he himself would say that he's, he's hit his Manchester City form yet. Fafana's been injured, basically. Kikurella is is underwhelmed, as is Koulibaly, as I've already said. Aubameyang scored 3-3 three and three in October. Haven't seen him since. It is a frightening amount of money that's been spent for, as I've said already, for so little return. You can point the finger at Potter, you know, is he getting the best out of them? But also you have to sort of point the finger at them and, and sort of say, 
are you delivering on on your transfer fee and, and not many of them can look in the mirror right now and and say that they are but with one eye on the future Liam and there are obviously big ifs when you're signing young players there is a there's a real shift in policy there with the, with the players that they have brought in and if if even I was going to say if even half of them realize their potential then they've probably done good business haven't they Chukwameka, Amari Hutchison Cesare Cassaday uh, they've got Fafana from Molde, Badiashile from Monaco. Is there a midfielder on the way from Vasco da Gama? Is- Andre Santos, yes. <laughs> there's, obviously, there's a risk with any signing, obviously more risks with young signings, but half of those come off, then their policy will be proved to be correct. I think probably at this point in time, Chukwameka and Badiashile probably are in a slightly different bracket because I think they've been brought, brought in with a view to contributing to the first team straight away. But you, you're absolutely right in saying they've they've been very aggressive from day one in trying to identify the most talented teenagers in world football. And of course, there was some pretty good infrastructure at Chelsea already to do, already there to do that. And, and Neil Barth has had a, had his role expanded. Um, and I think he's having a big say in, in, in identifying some of these players as well. And they've been quite successful in pitching these guys saying that, you know, we have a plan for you. And I, you know, I wrote a couple of weeks ago that, that a big part of that plan is the idea to have a suitable partner club in a kind of mid-tier European league, whether it's Portugal or France or Belgium or somewhere else, where their development can be more closely managed and individually tailored and and, and they can kind of put be put in the positions where like they, they have, their v- games. do they still have? Do they still have Vitesse Arnhem? No, I mean that was that was kind of only ever an informal relationship. They, right, Chelsea okay, right. were Chelsea's ownership and the Vitesse ownership were very close, and and that's where that relationship came from. And of course, there there were a ton of Chelsea loanies to Vitesse, Mason Mount among them, um, in in yeah. kind of particularly the early 2010s out into the middle of the 2010s. But I think what. Bowley and Clearlake are looking at now is is another level up, which is a, a more of a sort of Red Bull, Salzburg, Leipzig structure where you actually have a club that you a feeder club to you know mm. for to put no final point on it for purely developmental purposes, where you can maybe put some of your coaches there, um, some of your own technical know-how. I think that will be a big part of Lawrence Stewart's role in time as the technical director with a global focus. And you can make sure that these players are being used in the right roles that you that you envision for them, that the team's playing the right style. And, and of course, just basically that they're getting the minutes and being allowed to play through their mistakes and develop. When you're loaning, fundamentally, you are outsourcing development to, to clubs that have no long-term stake in those players. And Chelsea found in the Abramovich era that you get wildly different results. For some players, it, it can be amazing and for some players it, they can get just completely lost in a cycle of loans and their careers go go off track so that's what they're intending there's now kind of a sense of urgency to that because these players are in the door you know I, I don't think mm. when they signed David Datro Fafana the intention was not for him to be coming on against Manchester City I think he's viewed as a long-term development project and Andre Santos and, and Cassidy the same so I think they, they do need to find a, a partner club sooner rather than later, and then and then the other thing with that kind of recruitment policy, Simon, is how then that knocks on their own academy. And we did a podcast near the near the start of the season, didn't we, about the Kukurea deal that sent Levi Colwell to Brighton on loan. 
So how this new policy or this transfer policy then affects the players that Chelsea already have in a very successful academy will be interesting. Yes, but I think I think there was also a recognition that that the academy needed improving anyway in terms of needed signings. You have to remember that last season they the the under twenty threes as it was then needed to to win the final game of the season to avoid relegation for the first time, which perhaps indicates a a, a slight drop in standards. So there, there's been the odd duel, but that's why they've gone out already and and, and signed small players like like it's not just foreign talent. You know, Mari Hutchison, he's, he's now come on in the last couple of games, um, although he didn't really do himself justice. It is a really really fine talent which they've taken from Arsenal. So uh, so yeah, inevitably, you know, some some of the youngsters coming through are going to suffer for this. But that's always been the way at Chelsea, right? You know, that, that's the reality of being at Chelsea. In saying that, you know, that they've got this big project, Vision 2030. There are some really young age groups. It's something like the, the under, the under 12s, the under 16s or something like that, that they've actually talked about in house as like the best generation that, that, that there's been, which is saying something. And they, their hope is they bring them through for 2030, but. We've seen a number of young players that look good at that age and then and then fail yeah. to kick on. I, I was gonna I was gonna round everything up by saying, you know, the one thing that comes across is just everybody needs time here, don't they? Potter Potter needs time. The new ownership needs time. The new recruitment need, team needs time to work out how they're going to work with each other and how they're going to identify targets. But the, but then you said Project Twenty Thirty, and I was thinking, my God, that feels that. that that's a lot of time now. If we're still doing this in seven years' time, goodness me! I actually thought that's the academy's project, you know, yeah. not 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 the, not the senior team. But look, yeah, I mean, you know, it, that that's the reality. But I mean, I th- I still think there's some exciting things about this. I know it's all doom and gloom at the moment, but the long term goal of these owners is to have a squad. I've written about this before to have a squad full of young, hungry players and not have these sort of older guys that are there just picking up a paycheck. Um, admittedly, they've gone and perhaps signed one or two. <laughs> but then you sort of understand that. They're sort of obviously, t- you can't all do 18 to 25 in in a, in a, in a flash. You know, it is going to take yeah. a bit of time over the next season or two to to build that squad. But you you understand what the thinking is. And, and similarly with the structure, you know, Chelsea didn't have a real structure before. It, it sort of felt very kind of sort of living for the moment. And it worked bizarrely, despite you know sort of all logic. Chelsea's old regime worked, but I still think that this is the right thing to do. Whether whether there are going to be a lot more mistakes along the way, I think it's kind of inevitable because it's such a seismic change. Do you uh, do you share Simon's optimism, Liam? Well, I mean, it's it's hard to be optimistic <laughs> when you look at the pitch right now. But I mean, what I would say is that you know the the old ownership it worked to a point. I would say. You know, they they won a lot of trophies. A lot of those trophies were cup competitions, which are the kind of competitions that you can still win when you're changing coach mid-season, and <laughs> and you have this more chaotic style, or you or you're just sort of rebuilding season to season rather than having a multi-year strategy. But you look at Chelsea's performance in the Premier League, particularly once Manchester City's money came along, and they've so rarely been genuine contenders. The only times really they've been genuine contenders are the years that they've won the title. They've just kind of come from nowhere to have a great season and, and win it. 
Um, but uh, and particularly since 2017, they've just been irrelevant at the top of the Premier League. When, which, when you consider the resources that were at Bramovich's disposal for all of that time, I think you have to say it wasn't optimised. And the the 2021 Champions League win kind of covers over a lot of that and kind of gave a glorious end to that to that era. But it seemed like everything was in spurts with the old Chelsea, whereas the, the idea is for this to be more sustainable. The idea is to be what you see from Manchester City, from Liverpool, who've been the benchmark for, for Premier League excellence over the last four or five years. The the idea is also to to see, you know, Arsenal are now reaping the fruits of what has been a painful and multi-year rebuilding project around younger players and a young and a young promising coach. Now I don't think Chelsea want to emulate Arsenal and spend six years out of the Champions League. Um they they, they definitely want to recover quicker. Um and they have the resources, I think, to recover quicker. But the the model of what they want to look like and how they want to operate is quite similar, I think. Liam, Simon, thank you very much for dedicated club coverage and the latest during the January transfer window. Along with the daily podcast, just subscribe to The Athletic. It's £1.99 a month for the first 12 months and all you have to do is head to theathletic.com slash football pod. The Athletic.